Good morning, church. It's a beautiful song. The gift of a lifetime goes so well with what the Lord has put on my heart today. The Holy Spirit has a way of just bringing everything together for his good and for his purpose. This morning, the title of my presentation is The Promise. The Promise. You know, I want to start by telling you uh, something that happened to me as a child. You know, I'm remembering my aunt, one of my aunts. Every time we would meet, she was a really sweet lady. And every time we would meet and greet and talk, she was so pleasant and so positive, and she always talked about God. But there was one thing that always seemed to get her down. And she would say, you know, I'm doing so good by the grace of God. God is truly blessing me. But this knee, this knee of mine, it hurts so much, you know. And her ankle would get swollen. You know, and I heard um, her talk about that knee so much that I think I started empathizing with her and um, the pains that she was experiencing. So I was a young girl at the time, and I remember determining in my mind that I was going to be very careful not to get into any kind of sports or anything that would cause me to fall often and then have to experience these pains as I grew older that I would have knee pains because I could see that my Aunt Jenny just suffered so much from those pains. Was as you can tell, I didn't know much about the Word of God at the time that, you know, we are born in sin and shapen in iniquity, and that each day, from the day we were born, we start dying, and we start experiencing whether it's going to be an earache or the loss of a tooth as a child or a scraped knee, and then at some point in our lives, it doesn't matter how careful you are and whether you have ever fallen or not, at some time in your life, those pain come. And they are just a natural part of sin. That's what it is. It is a sin problem. And it starts at day one. As a matter of fact, at day one, there's a timer that's set that says, Sarah Titus, born January 15, 1978. I know I'm going to get you with that. <laughs> and from that time onward, you are, oh, she was just born like a day ago, and then a year, and then six months, you know, six months and a year, and a, six years, and ten years. 
And next thing you know, you're asking the timer, can you just sit down and take a rest, slow down for a little while? Why? And as you get older, it seems to go faster. You know, you can't stop it, but it is going. And then when at your death you get another certificate that your family gets for you, right? And so between, so there's nothing we can do about the aging process and about, you know, our sickness. But one thing we know is that Jesus did something about the sin problems. First, when our parents sin. In Genesis 3:15, right off the bat, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Jesus declared war. He said, I love you. I've created you. I know you've made a mistake, but I am promising you today that one day I will redeem you unto myself. One day you will have Life eternal once again if you choose me. This has always been God's love for us, to give us that power of choice. Amen? It says the wages of sin is death, and we die daily, but the gift of God, praise the Lord, is eternal life. So we have a choice as to which side we choose. And it, you know, it doesn't matter the degree of sickness we have, we will experience something in our lifetime. But life would be unbearable if it were not for the promise of the Savior. If Jesus had not come and died for our sins, what would life be like for us today? It would be a life of no hope. And so this is why we are so glad and thankful to God for coming and dying for our sins, giving us that hope of eternal life today. He came, and we want to just look back at Jesus, the promised Messiah. That's what we're going to look at today. And so we know the biblical meaning of the anointed one or the Messiah. He's a leader, a savior, a deliverer, a prophet, a king. You know, this idea of a Messiah was very popular in the Jewish nation they initially understood the mission of a Messiah or the anointed Holy One who is set aside for God. We can trace this practice of anointing back to Aaron, the first high priest of Israel in Leviticus 8 verse 12. And he poured out his anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. So he was set apart for holy use. So we know that's the definition of anointing. The promise goes back to Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. The Lord will raise up a Messiah 
And in Micah 5 and verse 2, it says the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. His mission is to secure our salvation and give freedom from sin. This Messiah was to embody all the def definitions of the name prophet, priest, and king. You know, the Jewish nation suffered many oppression and hard time along the way. Many times they were in bondage. And at the time of Jesus' birth, they were under the bondage of the Roman Empire. And so somehow in their mind, they just somehow changed the meaning of the Messiah from the savior from sin to the savior of their current circumstances. They were looking, all of a sudden, from Adam, they were looking for Jesus the Messiah. And now they find themselves under such great oppression and has gotten so distracted, now they are looking for a Messiah who will just take over and become king and now be their king, their earthly king, not their heavenly king. You know, we can get distracted like that if we are not careful. The pressures and the problems of life can get us so distracted that we lose focus on what is most important and we settle for the temporary things of this world and forget about the eternal. So I just want to encourage us this morning that no matter how oppressive or how difficult life becomes, let us not forget that Jesus is the answer to all of our problems, temporary or long-term. He is the answer. And because of the distraction, they had a problem understanding, you know, when Jesus come, how to, uh, you know, just welcome this babe as their soon coming king that they were looking for. You know, you recall that we studied in Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he couldn't remember the dream, let alone the interpretation, and that his wise men couldn't help him. And God used Daniel, a man of God, a wise man of God, to pray to him. And that dream was interpreted. And remember that we, we studied that the goal represents Babylon. And there would be a second world emperor that would rule this world, the Medes and the Persian. And a third one would be Greece. And then the fourth kingdom would be strong as iron, which was identified as Rome. And history bears that out clearly, that Rome was the fourth kingdom to rule the world from the time of the kingdom of Babylon. It was during these times under the rulership of the fourth world kingdom of Rome that Jesus was born. And it is under these times that the children of God 
who should have been looking more for their Messiah to come, look for him to come as king of the nation of Israel. So let's really be careful that persecution and hard times does not cause us to interpret the word of God to suit our current circumstances. Let the word of God be the word of God. You see, they knew. They knew about the Messiah. They had all of the readings and all, all, all of the definition of a Messiah. They knew he would come. But they were distracted. So let's be careful that we don't get distracted also. And so we see that the Bible continues to tell us that even when the, the disciples came to Jerusalem, when the, the, um, so the um, angels came and gave that great news to the shepherds in Jerusalem that he was coming, that the king was there, they still did not accept him as their king. But that didn't change anything. He, had, he was there, and he was going to grow up, and he was going to do the work that God had him there to do. Now, I, I recall the story of Jesus when he took his disciples aside and he said to them, so tell me, who do people say I am? What, you know, out there when they're talking, who do they say that I am? And he said, I'm a prophet, and some say you're a king, some say you're Elijah, and many things. And then he said, so... Let me ask you, who do you say that I am? And Peter was one of those who just knew the answer. And, and I have to say, the Holy Spirit spoke through him that day. And he said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus even commended him. That, that wasn't revealed to him by flesh and blood but by the Holy Spirit revealing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus now knowing that they understand his mission, he's Christ, he's the Messiah, he starts giving them the details of what his work here on earth, he said, you know, I'm going to suffer in Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I will rise again. But Peter took Jesus aside. Can you imagine that? Peter took Jesus aside and said to him, stop saying these things. We won't, it won't happen. We won't let this happen. This is how much they had changed their mindset about the Messiah and his true work that even his disciples were bent 
on making him king of Jerusalem. And even when he tried to explain to them what his mission were, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, this shall not happen to you. What a contradiction to his earlier testimony when he proclaimed him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, in one point of our life, we can be so filled with the Holy Spirit, and God can work miracles through us. But if we're not careful, and if we're not continuing that relationship with Jesus, Satan waits for any moment that he can get to come in and distort us, and we can turn the other way around so far that we ourselves won't even believe what's going on. And this is what's happening to Peter. One day, he's Christ. The next day, don't say that. This is not going to happen. And Jesus had to rebuke Satan. He wasn't rebuking Peter so much. It was Satan that he was rebuking. Get thee behind me, Satan, and give him the word of God. It is written. And so we have to, we can't depend on yesterday's blessings and yesterday's experience with God to suffice it for today. Every day is a new day. And so every day we need to fill our resources with God, our prayer life, our devotional time, everything that foster a relationship with God. Because one day, Satan is just waiting for that opportune time for us to sever that relationship so he can come in and allow us to do things that are contrary to the will of God. There are changes happening in the world. And sometimes we lose focus on who Jesus really is and what the ultimate goal of Christianity is. And, you know, it's true. Many of us are going to be healed if we ask Jesus for healing. He's the great physician. Some he will choose to heal and some he will choose not to as he sees fit. There are many maladies and problems in this world. And you go to Jesus, many struggles, many financial experience we have. We go to Jesus, and if we are following his principles, he will help us through. And we'll have victory in this life because just God is good, and he loves us. And he, it is his will that we, we not suffer but he's not going to take away every circumstance and everything in our life to make us so comfortable that we feel like this is home. He is going to leave us with some discomfort every now and again just so that we are reminded that we are pilgrims here. Amen? But more than healing us, more than prospering us, more than doing all the good things in life for us, the main reason Jesus came is to give us salvation. You know, Jesus' desire to save us 
far supersede any other mercies that he so freely gives us. And so it doesn't matter how much he does for you. Just know that deep down, his greatest desire is our salvation. And so he's our prophet. According to John 1, 1 to 18, it declares him, Jesus, the true light of the world. Luke 24, 19, on the road to Emmaus, his disciples describe him as a prophet in word and in action. So he is our true prophet. And we thank God for that. We can find it clearly in the word of God. He is our priest. The function of a priest is to offer sacrifice for the people's sin and be an intercessor between God and the people. Jesus sacrificed his life for us on the cross. Romans 8.34, who is he who condemn it? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that he is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And that's why he alone could be our savior. Hebrews 7, verse 24, but this man, because he continued forever, had an unchangeable priesthood. priesthood. He paid the ransom for us and is our high priest forever. Praise the Lord for that. He's also our king. You know, wise men from the east, Gentiles. This story just excites me. Wise men from the east, Gentiles, came looking for Jesus. The first thing I want to share with you about these wise men is that I've searched, as I was researching, I've searched for these wise men as kings. You know we sing this song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. The Bible, I can't find it. Can't find it in the Bible. The Bible said they were wise men. And if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, they were wise men who were called by the king to interpret, and they were astrologers and astronomists and all those people who, who are well learned. These are the kind of wise men that came looking for Jesus. The Bible doesn't say three kings. And he didn't say how many wise men either. He said wise men. He said they brought him three kinds of gift. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is how sometimes subtle Satan moves in on us and just allow us to interpret the word of God where it clearly doesn't say what we want it to say. So even in little things, we have to be careful. It starts subtle and then it grows. Because this idea of the wise men has turned into, whether you believe it or not, a red guy with big stomach and long gray beard. 
So he has turned into that now. And he's, his philosophy is that you have to do good to get something. You see how, how Satan just takes us a little further and a little further away? So now Jesus presents salvation as a gift freely given. The guy in the red suit say, you have to do good all year in order to qualify to get something. Truly contrary to the word of God. So let us always try to stick to the word of God, not the popularity of the people that are in the world and they are saying something. Because everybody says something doesn't make it right. If it's not of the Bible, then we have to stick with what the Bible says. So that's one of the things that I found this time as I was studying. So back to the wise men from the East, Gentiles. I just want to let you know that there are many who are out there who we refer to as Gentiles, who cannot explain many of the prophecies we are acquainted with. But heaven's light of the word of God is guiding them to him each day. And there are many honest seekers of God's truth who are guided by Jesus every day, closer and closer to the heart of God. I pray that we are willing to welcome them into the presence of God and encourage them on their spiritual journey. Wise men from the East. Recall that when these wise men came to Jerusalem and inquired where the king was, that the political leaders of the time were totally confused. What king? You know, when the wise men reached Jerusalem, they should not have had to ask where the king was. They should have just been able to see the celebration and the thanksgiving of the king of the Jews, that he, they would just naturally go there. But they came and they themselves were confused because there were no celebration. There was nothing going on. So they had to ask, where is he that is called born king of the Jews? You know, this sent the cabinet, the political cabinet, into special emergency session, inquiring where this child should be. They didn't know. I imagine that they had a special session of Bible prophecy studies in Jerusalem that day to find out how did these wise men know that a king was born? What have we missed that we don't know? And so these wise men from the east had to explain to Jerusalem the prophecies of the Bible and to show them how all of this pointed to Jesus and that they saw that star. And when they read the prophecy, they realized, yes, it did say that a king, he would be born king of Bethlehem. And so they came to worship this king. Amen. 
You see, it wasn't for lack of knowledge from the Bible why they did not know that Jesus was coming. They, they understood prophecy, so to say, the same way sometimes we understand prophecy. We know how to explain it. But it's not a part of us. We don't know how to live it. We know how to explain it. So they had studied and they knew it. But they were so distracted with the cares of this life and with what was important to them right there in their life that they missed Jesus coming. I hope none of us miss his second coming because we are too distracted with the things of this world. It wasn't for the lack of announcement of his birth. The angels announced his birth and his coming to the shepherd. I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. They went and they saw the child and they worship him. And what did they do after they worship him? They went back and they told as many people in Judea as they could tell. So they shouldn't be surprised. And the people marveled at what they're saying. The same way we marvel, oh yeah, a king's born, okay. Great, that's wonderful. But we don't really internalize it. We don't really study it for ourselves to see what are these shepherds talking about? And should we go and find this child and worship him also? So they shouldn't have been surprised, but they were. And so, this was a time for prayer, but it wasn't. It was a time for thanksgiving, but it wasn't. God's people were clueless. You know, one of my favorite authors penned these words in the book, Desire of Ages. Satan accused God of being selfish and oppressive, claiming everything and giving nothing in return, that he requires the creatures of his creation for his own glory while making no sacrifice for them. But the gift of Jesus to us proves the opposite. It shows the Father's true heart of love for us. It shows the thought of God towards us. He has always been a God who wants to give us peace, not to harm us, as stated in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It shows that God's hatred for sin is as strong as death, but his love for sinners, all of us, is stronger than death. From birth to death of the life of Christ, demonstrate his love for mankind. If you want to know how much God loves us, study the life of Christ. Amen. 
and read it over and over again, and you will begin to start to comprehend the love of God to humankind. You know, we think about, you know, right now on our mind is the new variant of COVID-19, Omicron. Many of us are, it's in the news now that we don't even know what this one is going to be like. It may be more contagious. It may be more deadly. We don't know. But there is a more deadly virus out there called sin. And from the time our four parents had inherited that virus, it is passed on from generation to generation. And none of us can escape it. None of us. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart of man is desperately wicked. It's in our vein, it's in our muscles, it's in our tissue, it's in our organs. Sin is desperately wicked. It causes addiction, disappointment, tears, families to break up, and the list goes on. Romans 6.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us escape this virus. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. None of us escape this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul said, we have this hope. In our high priest, Jesus, this is our only hope. In our high priest, Jesus, he says. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Yes, we may carry the virus, but we know how to get the vaccine. Right now they are saying that the vaccines that we took may not help us with this new strain. You know, they may have to come up with something else. But with this vaccine of Jesus, his blood, there is no strain of sin that it won't cover. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, in the future, what you may do today. It will cover every strain, every individual, Every ethnicity, every boy, every girl, every adult, no matter who you are, God's vaccination of his precious blood will cover all of us. There is hope for us. There is hope for us. And we can rely on Jesus. So let's not get distracted there is something more than just today and what's going on in our world. Jesus said, I will deliver you. Thank God for the Messiah who came and created that antidote. Yes, it was on the cross that the vaccine for sin was completed. 
And this vaccine is foolproof. It works on everyone who is willing to accept it by faith. Every color, race, ethnicity, whatever depth of sin you may find yourself in, Jesus' promise is true. He says to us, I've got you covered. Romans 4 verse 7, blessed are those whose sins are covered. Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And verse 28 says, Christ was offered once to bear the sin of many. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, the death of Christ on the cross was not an afterthought. Even before man was created, the plan was made. If man should sin, who will redeem him? When man sinned, God started to put his plan into action by giving us the promises in Genesis 3 verse 15 and thereafter many, many promises in the Bible. He wasted no time to give hope and promise of redemption to the human race. It was not an easy task. The cost of sin is greater than we can imagine. Sin cost God his son. It cost Jesus his life. He had to step down from the Father and heaven and had to step down to human form, born of sin, the God-man. He was falsely accused, was crucified, he was betrayed, rejected, humiliated, degraded. And so he had to step down to be even identified as a criminal outside the gates of Jerusalem. Like a common criminal, he was crucified outside the gate. This is very significant in the life of every Jew. We call that they were slaves in Egypt. When the fullness of time had come, God called Moses to lead them from slavery to freedom in a new land he gave them. And remember that Pharaoh did not want to let them go after many attempts and many plagues. But finally in Exodus 11 verse 1, the Lord said unto Moses, yet I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and Egypt and he will let them go. Not he may let them go, but he will let them go. He shall surely trust you out altogether. In other words, he will want to let you go after this plague. Remember how God instructed them to prepare a lamb and sacrifice the lamb. And that lamb represented their freedom from sin. He said, you know, I'm going to free you from physical bondage right now that you're in in Egypt. But this lamb is to remind you that there's a greater freedom that you need. Freedom from sin. And every time you sacrifice this lamb, it is pointing to the time when I will come and I will be that lamb that die for you. And he told them, I want you to do it every year at the same time and to remind your children and to teach them, tell them of how God 
you know, save you from bondage, how he freed you from bondage, and that he wants to do the same of freeing you from sin. And so that's why the birth of Christ should not have been a surprise to the Jews, because this is something that they should have been telling their children and talking about every year, every time they have the opportunity. This should be like what the talk in the home of, of their freedom from bondage. So it was really something else for them, for wise men from the east to come and ask them, can I see your king that was born? I'm sure that was a little bit embarrassing. And so we know that in verse 11 and 12 of Exodus tells us God's freedom from his people pointed to him coming and saving them from their sin. And so they did that every year, every year they, they would do that. And so then in Exodus 12 verse 13, he said, I will smite all the firstborn of Egypt, but when I see the blood on your doorpost, I will pass over you. So he told them, you know, kill that lamb, sacrifice it, take the blood and put it on the doorpost on both sides, on the upper side. And he instructed them in very details because he says, I am getting ready to do something here. Every firstborn child of Egypt will die, except if the blood is on that doorpost. You know, it's the same principle of salvation. Every person who does not apply the blood of Jesus Christ to their heart, when Jesus comes, won't be saved. I believe the, what the angels will look for on the grave is the blood of Jesus, some significance of the blood of Jesus that we are covered. And that's one of the ways that the angels will know there is a child of God. So it's the same principle that applies to us today. Because the ceremony pointed to the Messiah who would one day come and be the ultimate lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And so we know that they went on to memorialize it. But like anything else, sometimes when we have something that we memorialize, it, it loses its significance if we're not careful. You know, we do it every year, over and over again. And after a while, we just do it as a tradition. But the true meaning of it gets lost. And so... You know, there are traditions that we do here at church. For example, the communion service, you know, it's very biblical that every time we do the communion service, and by the way, we'll have one coming up the first Sabbath in January, January 1. It should remind us of Jesus and what he has done for us. And it should be a time that if we have small children, we should take that opportunity to, to let them know what's involved in this, 
what the meaning of salvation, the meaning of the shed blood of Jesus on, on Calvary. So that by the time that Sabbath rolls around and they come to the communion table, they come with a better understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. And so let's use these as example. But you know, I was still thinking about the Lamb of God who was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. And I'm going to read a text in Hebrews 13, verse 12 and 13. And I, I quoted this from the Clear Word Bible. And it reads, What does the high priest do on the Day of Atonement? He takes the blood of the slain animal into the most holy place as a sin offering. But its body is taken outside the camp and burnt. That's why Jesus was crucified outside the city. It is his blood that cleanses us from all our sins today. And so even down to that detail, Jesus was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. He became sin for us so that we can become righteousness of Christ according to Galatians 3 and verse 13. I just want to encourage us today to take another look at Jesus and what he's doing for us. Not just, you know, every day because you hear it, but really look deep into the sacrifice that Christ has made for us and just ask him again in to our lives. Amen? Amen. He wants to have this great experience with us. He wants us to separate ourselves from the world and come in total harmony with him. You know, Jesus' separation from those who walked with him every day must have been really hard. You know, these are people he loved, his disciples. And now, all of a sudden, no more sympathy, no loyal friends to stand with him in his darkest hour. At that time of his life, Jews chose Caesar as king over the king of kings. They chose Barabbas to be an upstanding member in the community over Jesus. And they treated him as a common criminal. But he willingly went to the cross because he had you and I in mind. This was our only hope. But the hardest separation for Jesus must have been his separation from his father. Why did Jesus have to die alone? He had to fulfill the many prophecies concerning him, such as I, uh, Psalms 41.9. Even my closest friend, in whom I confide in, has eaten at my house many times, have turned their backs on me. He had to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 11.13, 
sold for 30 pieces of silver. And we know he was betrayed by Judas. We know that he had to go through seeing Peter who claimed to love him so much and would die for him, deny him three times. Those were difficult moments for Jesus. But his separation from his father must have been much more difficult. But he had to. He had to become our second Adam. He had to pass the test where our first Adam failed of being faithful to God under great temptation. He had to pass that test. He had to become fully human without the help of the Father in order to be our high priest today in heaven, to intercede for us. In order to intercede for someone, you must have experienced some of what they're experiencing so that you can truly defend them. You can truly know what they're going through. So when he talks to the Father, he's saying, Father, I've been on earth, and I know what it's like to be tempted in this point. Please, my blood, let this be covered for, for their sin. They have asked forgiveness. And this is why he had to do it alone. There was not going to be a Jesus and company that we go to. It would be just Jesus. Hebrews 4, verse 15, we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand us or who is incapable of feeling our pain. He was tempted in every way, even more powerful than we would ever be tempted, yet he never sinned. This is the high priest that we need in our life, and thank God we found it in Jesus he died alone because it would never be enough. No one else was worthy of being our high priest. No one else is worthy of dying for our sins. No one else is worthy of being nailed to that cross and taking our shame, taking our sorrow, taking everything, our sin from us, no one else. So it was darkness, the darkness of sin that overshadowed him and hid him from the Father's face. In the moment he carried the load of sin, he carried the load of sin from Adam, from when Adam and Eve sinned, to the end of the world, so every sin that we commit times the whole world and how long the world has been in existence was on his shoulder. The weight of the cross was nothing compared to the weight of sin. It was much heavier. He could have borne the physical pain, but the weight of sin was so dark and so heavy it covered him. Even the sun refused to shine at that moment. And the stars and the moon refused to come forth. 
Pitch darkness was experienced at that time. And as he was on that cross, even though his father was there, he couldn't see his father for the, 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 the darkness of sin and the, the grossness of sin that just embodied around him. Sin is awful. Sin cripples us. Sin is death. No wonder he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The prophecy in Isaiah 63, 6 says, had to be fulfilled. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people, there are none with me. None with me. And like I said, even if his father were there, he couldn't do anything. He had to do this so that he can save me and that he can save you for our salvation. We look forward to the completion of the promise when Jesus will bruise the head of Satan. We look forward to his second coming when sin and sinners will be destroyed and we won't have any sin problem ever again. No more disappointment, no more pain, no more heartache, nothing of sin will annoy us again. And so we want to take this time to thank Jesus for being our prophet, our king, our high priest. Right now he's our high priest interceding for us, but someday he's coming again, and he's coming as king of king and lord of lord. And we are hoping for that day to come soon so that he can take us away to live with him. Let's not get distracted with the here and now. There are temporary needs. Don't let your temporary needs become your most important decision your, that overwhelm you so that Jesus doesn't take center stage in your life. You know, with the children, the Jews, Self took center stage. The oppression took center stage. We don't want that. We want despite the problems that we have. Or we want those problems to push us forward, to even want Jesus to come more, to even want to serve him more because of the issues that we are ha having. And I encourage us to do a self-examination today to see where we are and what, where our priorities lie. And we want to look at our prayer life. And we want to think about, as we pray to God every day, what percentage of our prayer is about temporary things of this earth that we want from him versus our spiritual need. What percentage of our time do we spend just getting to know him, praying, sharing him, versus the time we spend 
trying to be like the Jones. What percentage of our resources is spent in things of God versus self? What percentage of our finance do we give to God versus what we squander and keep for self? This is a personal examination that each must take and make the change and the choices to follow Jesus all the way. We, have to, we know where we are with these things. And my final question, today, in the light of the cross and all that Jesus has done for us and what we have studied today, what will we do with Jesus today? Knowledge is enough. The Jews had lots of that. They needed to apply it and we need to apply what we know to make it effective in our life. And today I want to let you know that I have chosen to rededicate my life to him. I have chosen to accept him again. I have chosen to ask him to continue to be king of my life. If this is your desire, I invite you to stand with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words that are so powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that you have shown us very clearly, Lord, that we just need to keep our eyes on you and your word. We need to prioritize what's most important in our life. We need to watch for the signs of your coming and not try to interpret your word to suit our situation, but interpret your word as it really is. We ask you today, to come into our hearts anew. We start today anew, Lord. And we ask that you will be King and Lord of our lives. We love you, Lord, but we want to love you more. We want to show it in practical way. We want to really connect with you. What a shame it would be after knowing all of this, after studying so many years in your word that we end up being surprised of your coming and being lost. We don't want that, Lord. None of us here want that. So whatever it takes, Lord, to take away the distraction and make us focus on you, we give you permission to rearrange our lives. And we ask that we may cooperate with you so that we can be saved. This is your ultimate goal. Not that we get rich, not that we become famous, but that we be saved. May we be saved in your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Sister Titus, for such a wonderful message. Now you know that his royal blood runs in your veins, and you are a child of a king. Thank you, Sister Titus. That was a wonderful, wonderful remember, reminder. Let's close with number 99. Jesus, God will take care. of the Lord be with us now and forevermore. Amen.